Warning, the hosts of this program are not broadcast professionals. They have no idea what they're doing. They are bad at this. One of them uses swear words. A lot. All complaints about this show are correct. You have been warned. This is your last chance to download a real podcast. Okay, you asked for it. Here are Dave Brown and Iron Mike Irons. This is Entitled Town. Welcome back. Well, my friend, it's been a minute. Uh, Dave is back for those of you who haven't listened in a while. Dave, the number one question I get asked most is, what the hell happened to Dave? Was it, is he like Doc Rivers? Was going through a rebuilding process <laughs> going to be too hard? And my answer is always the same when asked what happened to Dave. I had no clue. So, Dave, do you want to tell everybody uh, what you've been doing for the last couple of years after leaving my ass in the lurch? It's 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 been a bit of a blur. Uh, it was good to see Al again. Al Al just uh, called me the Wendy Williams of Entitled Town, and I was like, <laughs> "That's a low blow, Al." I said, uh, "I'd like." think of myself as the sid barrett of entitled town but he doesn't know who sid barrett is because he's not mike wichter so anyway um, another contemporary contemporary reference for the kids out there there was there was none of that joke was accessible to anybody except for maybe three people but that's (laughs) fine that's because i have not that's what i've been doing for the last couple years not working on jokes that's that's very clear (laughs) that's apparent Um, yes that's apparent yeah no um it's it's been it's been like an insane three years i don't know i mean everybody knows it's been the same three years but uh i've been i've been blown around from uh place to place and now i'm ugh, now i'm sitting here again and uh i feel like if if nothing else what's brought us back together has been uh the giants and the patriots being just um impossibly terrible at the same time and this weekend in the same place so it seemed like a perfect opportunity for us to come together and uh, maybe you can tell me a little bit about your struggles. I can tell you a little bit about my struggles. And um, we can commiserate over our mutual frustrations Deal. with uh, some of the media figures that that intercede. We had actually discussed, you, me, and John, we discussed getting together in the Meadowlands to watch this game together. Yes. And uh, we decided to do something more intending and schedule colonoscopies for the same day. So <laughs> um, it took more than two decades, Dave, but... The media is finally getting the same quality team that they deserve. Um, from ten, you know twenty thousand feet, you're a Giants fan. For those of you who don't remember, Dave is a, a steadfast Giant fan. Um, what do you, what what have you seen regarding? I mean, the, there was hope after drafting Mac. We were actually we were actually recording a podcast when they signed Cam Newton. We did that. I think it's that draft oh, yeah. show when they they traded for where they actually drafted Mac Jones. Promising rookie year, fell apart towards the end of his rookie year, had a decent game in the wild card game against Buffalo. The whole Judge and Patricia kerfuffle a year ago, and he they brought on a quote real offensive coordinator, and he's just he's dissolved. What, what are you seeing? As someone dispassionate, yeah. what are you seeing? Well, you know, Mac has not been great. I'll, I'll I mean, I don't think that's a controversial statement. Um, but you know, I'm seeing something very similar with both your team and mine, which is that the play from the offensive line has just not been um, at a quality that would allow for 
a successful offense. It just hasn't. And so while Mac has made mistakes and, and certainly, um, you know, deserves his share of the blame for the problems that that offense is having, you know, it, it all starts up front. And I'm watching the same thing happen with the Giants where it, I, I saw one of those charts recently of, of qu- pass protection quality and the bottom two teams, 31 and 32, were New England 31 and New York 32. And that to me says it all. It's just, you're, you're not, like Max. Max not a great quarterback. He had a really nice 10-game run kind of after he figured out the offense in his first year. And things were looking up for the Patriots at that point. But they lost their coordinator. And that was, you know, that whole mess with Patricia. And then um, and then this year, I think they've got the right guy or one of the you know right guys who can get this team on track. But the, the group up front is just not getting it done. So they gotta they gotta sort that out, and I'm seeing something very similar. I mean, what the Giants have gone through this, this year is just abominable. There was no way I would have guessed uh, that the Giants would be sitting here at three and eight, and the Patriots would be aspiring to get to three and eight as right. we get into this game. Well, let me ask you because I think there are parallels with the Patriots and the Giants regarding the quarterback situation. Dayball took over the Giants two years ago. They did not extend Daniel Jones' contract. So the, the fifth year option, they didn't pick they it up. They did not extend the fifth year option. Correct. Thank you for clarifying that with me. The Patriots are going to be facing a very similar situation going into this offseason with Mac. Now it's a little bit different. Uh, your guy Dimes had a, a better year in 2021 than Jones is having this year. But I think you find yourself in purgatory if you bring Mac back the way the Giants brought Jones back. And Jones had a career year. He or, he got the four-year extension. Largely on merit. Now, I don't think he's particularly good. You're you're going to die on that dimes hill. But you know what is what's the optimal thing to do? Do you think they just clear out the quote unquote quarterback room? What's the most productive you know way forward? I, I mean, I don't. I, I here's the thing. I think the Giants really like Daniel Jones. Like I think everybody in the organization who worked with him, not Giants fans, another story. But I think Joe Judge came out of that um, that situation, and uh, one of these you know uh, one of these podcasts uh, got a hold of. Uh, judge and said, you know, is there any is there anything you want to say in defense of yourself as you're heading out of town? And he said, I got nothing to say about me. But Daniel Jones, uh, you know, I, I'd run through a wall for that guy. And he he works hard, he preps hard, all this, all the stuff you want to hear, right? Like about your quarterback. Is yeah, that, you want your quarterback he puts to in be the work, that guy. Right. All that. I think that the Patriots have a very different situation. I don't think they like Mac Jones. I don't think he likes them. And that's now look, that's my I'm not in foxborough anymore maybe i'm wrong about that but there just doesn't seem like there seems to be a he's got like a very um kind of we know all the stuff from last year when he went outside the organization looking for help he looks kind of pouty sometimes he looks like he's got he's got uh o'brien's yelling at him the other day um but you know brady and o'brien they had their uh, they're back and forth too, but the, I just, and, and also I'm coloring this a little bit with, I saw an interview the other day where Gronk said that he doesn't think that the Patriots respect Mac Jones. I don't know if that's true, but I, there's just something that's not working there. It's not working. And the other thing is like, they haven't guaranteed him his job through this week. So never mind fifth year option. Like we don't know if he's starting Sunday against, against the giants. I think he will, because I think that this is a winnable game for new England. And I think that it's a more winnable game when Mac is playing than when he isn't. But uh, but I think they're trying to put him through the paces right now of, hey, this is, don't take this for granted because we do have other people and we will play. I think that's the message they're trying to send to him right now. They've done this a little bit before. 
But uh, yeah, I think that um, I, I think that of course it all depends on. And the Giants are in a very similar situation. This game is huge for answering this question because will one of these teams end up with a top two pick is really the question. With uh, Caleb Williams out there, with uh, Drake May out there, uh, will will one of those guys be brought in? And um, I think to get one of those guys, you need a top two pick. And I think that the loser of this game is in a much better position to get that pick. You don't get that pick. You know, maybe you're thinking things a little bit differently. Maybe you're trying to make it work with Mac Jones. I don't know. But it's probably in the best interest of the Patriots to, and probably in the best interest of Mac Jones, for everybody to kind of go their separate ways unless you know they can work things out. That's what it seems like to me. I would. Who's in better shape moving forward? I would argue that the Giants are in the worst place where you don't want to be paying a guy you're not sure about. $40 million a deer and, and you're tied into him for a while. How can you draft a quarterback high when you have the guy in house is making all that money where the Patriots can just, you know, they can move on from Mac and Zappi and, and kind of start over. I will answer that for you. Um, Please do. So, so the, so the Daniel Jones contract um, is basically a two year contract. Uh, he has a big payday next year uh, with 45 million. It's all guaranteed. And after that, there's like $20 million left in dead money. So if they cut him after next year, it's only $20 million. If you're paying a rookie quarterback, that's that's really not a big deal come 2025. So it's one of those things where they can kind of um, let let Jones play and then replace, you know, bring in the, bring in the rookie in the second year, let, let the rookie sit and then eventually win the job maybe. But but it's very viable for the Giants to move on from Daniel Jones after 2024. Not before then, but after then. Yeah, per Spotrack, um, yeah. per Spotrack, there, there's the out potential out is at 2025 with a 22 million dollar dead cap. Yep, 22 million. So that's and that's, uh, if you think that he's the guy, you want to take a flyer on him. But you know, bringing in a the the shiny bauble new quarterback that's. You know, I don't know. It's, I would be an advocate. I don't like what I see from the top quarterbacks. I'm not a sofa scout, but you got to build the lines in. You got to build the lines in, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, the Giants, the Giants, With a line have out. the same problem. If they, if the if both these teams have the same problem, if they replace their quarterback, who's blocking? And for for the Giants, it's like they drafted Evan Neal. It has not gone well, and so, and then aside from that, you know, over the first eight games of the season. Every single starting offensive lineman had missed at least one game, which is insane. Like I think about Joe Tooney, I think in his first four seasons in New England, played every snap, maybe mm-hmm. missed two or three snaps or something like that. He was playing, he was like playing every snap and going to the Super Bowl, you know? And we can't get any one of the five guys through a game. It's it's been it's been nuts. So so not only do we have a, a problem with uh, you know inconsistent starters the bench is terrible it's terrible so you know you can go get caleb williams you can go get drake may but to to really be competitive you're going to need more so one of my fears is like there's a lot of talk about well would the giants trade up so let's say let's say right now they have the fifth pick in the draft because they won last week they beat the, the commanders the commanders are like our jets like we just beat them no matter what. It doesn't yeah. matter how good we are. They just show up and like, thanks guys, we'll take the W. Um, but uh, but now we're fifth in the draft, and it's like one of my fears is like, oh no, like I could totally see um, 
this coach and GM looking at each other and going, we're going to win a lot more games if we go get this guy who could be an elite quarterback. That might be true, but I don't know how you get to the Super Bowl if you have to start trading away extra draft picks to get them because you still have a lot of you still have a lot to build out. Uh, it's the youngest team in the league. They are are developing some decent starters, but like I said, you know, like Aziz Ojolari goes out. He's uh, one of our edge rushers. And after that, it's just the Jihad Ward. And Jihad Ward is like a nice run defender, but he's not a pass rusher. It, and that's like the story of our roster. It's like right behind a decent starter is nothing. It's just a huge cliff to nowhere. And it's going to take time to build that out. Some guys will develop. But like Micah McFadden has become uh, one of the best inside linebackers in the league this season. But um, or he's, he's playing. He's playing at a really high level. Let's put it that way. Uh, has far surpassed expectations. That is something that comes from, um, you know, having the time to develop within the system. We're going to need to do that for a few more guys, but we got to bring in some people to fill out this roster. And I don't like using too many assets to get what in my mind is something we already have. And you could say like Daniel Jones isn't an elite quarterback, but the reason I like the guy is because he puts all the work in the, the players and the coaches seem to love him. And when um, when you've seen it yourself in clutch situations, late in games, he's done a great job. And he had a huge performance in the biggest game of his career, the playoff game at, at Minnesota last year. So I see him as the kind of guy where if you build a great team around him, he's not going to let you down. He can take you like Eli Manning. To me, Giants fans have this misperception about Eli Manning. Eli Manning was worse his first four years. His first four years were awful. He threw before the, the whole Super Bowl run, he threw four picks in a game against Minnesota that season. Three of them were pick sixes, and two of them were pick sixes on consecutive plays. I would argue and he, he was, had a rock <laughs> in his head and horseshoe up his ass, but that's just me. He did, he did not have he did not have a terrible offensive line and no weapons. He had a very good offensive line and Plaxico Burris. So what was his excuse? I don't know. Thank, thankfully, he figured it out, uh, much to, um, you know. No, not thank name. God. Not thank God. <laughs> God's not who I should be thanking. Is that what you're saying? We'll be we'll be right back on the Big Blue Giant Podcast Network <laughs> after our message from Jesus Christ. Um, Dave, but, what, did uh, make, what did you make sure. of your regard surrounding uh, Bill Belichick? There's a lot of lot of meetings mm. saying a lot of things about Bill Belichick. I think there's a lot of it's a settling of scores kind of thing. They the media thinks they're gonna do thing Michael Corleone style and settle all family business for these slights, whether perceived or real. But you know, this, where are you with Belichick? If, if, if you're in my shoes as a, as a fan, as a Patriot fan, a lot, of things, a lot of things I haven't liked over the last couple of years, if I'm being honest. They haven't finished strong in several years. Yeah, They haven't yeah. had that November, December thing. This year has just been a comedy of errors. I mean, you could, you could argue this is uh, McPherson-like, the way that they've executed in games and they've they've certainly had some questionable decisions made but where are you at with belichick who's going to be 72 years old next year i know you played the um the bill burr rich eisen yes. interview yes and uh i think a lot of what he said resonates with me where by the way you, you're right to have some gripes with belichick the whole matt patricia thing didn't work it did it and it set them back but now um, it's worse with o'brien or is it a causation yeah, correlation I mean, kind of thing? Well, I think with I think the problem is, you know, I'm, I, I mean, I'm seeing the same thing in, in New York where we had an offense that worked the year before. You know, 
where when that line just when you don't have an NFL caliber line right now, and that messes up everything. You know, people like to to dump on Mike Kafka. Giants fans like to dump on him. He's the offensive coordinator for his play calls. And it's like, what call do you play when you have the third string quarterback in there behind a sub professional line? And you know, maybe and Saquon might be on the field. Okay, so so he well, gets since the ball he's a and... former Patriot, if he's doing a shitty job, he's now on Bill Belichick's coaching tree. If he's doing a <laughs> shitty job, well, it's it's like I don't blame O'Brien. We know what he can do. Like we we know he's a good offensive coordinator. We know that. Um. Uh. But but as far as Bill goes, the, the Patricia thing didn't work. That was kind of a mess. It was a good try. I think he was trying to buy a year for um uh to to get. O'Brien in there but okay so where are we here with Bill you know I, I a lot of what Bill Burr said resonates with me where it's like look who first of all who are you going to uh but you know I, I went through I went through this as a giant stand with Coughlin we had that really strange 2015 season where it seemed like we were in every game and we're losing all the time uh we had one of those games against Brady where you know, they won in the last drive. We had just taken the lead. Brady comes back and wins it for them. Um, wins it for you. And uh, and then all of a sudden, it's a down year. I think the Giants won five or six games in 2015. And you look, you look at the coach, right? Now, the big problem was the players. It was the roster. The, the, the GM, Jerry Reese, would go, would be around for another year. And I think... The, it started like this insane run of, of us having something like seven or eight years with no um, with no players ascending to second contracts with us. Like that's how bad the draft sounds was. familiar. We weren't, we weren't turning guys over. So, so um, or everybody, were we not turning them over or were we turning them over? Whatever. They weren't staying with the team. We weren't, we weren't signing long-term starters. So we weren't drafting long-term starters. Anyway, so, so I've been through this before, and it was the wrong decision, in my mind, to fire Coughlin at the time. And I think the reason they got rid of him was because they said, well, if we make the wrong decision, how much Tom Coughlin are we giving up here? He's in his 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not going to coach forever. So what was it, three years, four years? You know, does this team need to rebuild? Kind of. So I, I, I guess, you know, you could look at it from that perspective. Maybe one of the problems in New England is never quite confronting the reality that, you know, you needed to do a a full top to bottom kind of rebuild. You know, I think trying to get back to competitive, maybe a little bit too soon. The Giants went through that in 2017, where we drafted um, or 2018, where we drafted Saquon Barkley. And it was like, that's not what we need. We need cornerstone pieces. I don't know who I'd point to on the Patriots that that fits that mold, but maybe some of the signings. I don't know how the money's been allocated. I am so – anybody who's cr- criticizing what I'm saying right now, you're probably right because I am so detached from all the moves. So I, I'm just uh, I'm just spitballing here. But, um, but Listen, yeah. There are so, other reporters who aren't allowed in the building who spitball like this and they're less informed. So please spout away. <laughs> um, as far as I know, I'm allowed in the building, by the way. But uh, – <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, so so I would under I would certainly understand Bob Kraft sitting there and making this decision either way, um, because at some point, you know, my question would be who's available, right? Like, yeah, that's, that's is there somebody the, he's who's, who's really excited about? Who's an upgrade? Is it is it Mayo? 
I mean, Mayo was kind of like deemed the heir apparent last year, but I don't know if it's Mayo. Are they going to take the GM stuff away from Bill? Is that a potential thing? Because, you know, I've seen I've seen two really interesting characters come out and speak well of Belichick this week. And those characters are Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. And Brady, did you see what Brady said? I did. Yeah. Brady, Brady kind of came out and was like, you know, he still gets those guys prepared to play. He's he's the best at putting people in the position to win. And Rob uh, Gronkowski was like, um, you know, kind of the same thing. Like they, they can't imagine they, like Gronk thinks he's going to stay. So even though both have at times been um, critical, well, Gronk's been critical. Gronk, you know, Gronk has appeared critical and people like to uh, project a lot of critical um, stuff onto Brady. I don't know how much of it's true, but um, but those guys have come basically come out and said that they think that the Patriots should stick with them. So I think that's I think that's interesting. Well, here's the Brady sound clip that on the Stephen A. Smith show that you were just talking about, Dave. Thank you. I think he's an incredible coach. He's the best coach, in my belief, in the, in the history of the game. So, I mean, I don't know. Get, uh, the thought of him not being in New England is hard for me to think about. Wow. So I, I think he's he's he prepares the team really well. And ultimately, you got to have a lot of people around you to succeed. You got to have a lot of things in place for the organization to be successful. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's probably coaching much difference now than when we were undefeated in 2007. Right. I'm sure he's preparing the team the same way. The results are different, but again, that's why the sport's so challenging. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons why teams win or lose. The head coach is a very small part on game day. Yes. The quarterback plays a really big part on game day. Not mm-hmm. the entire thing, but because you touch the ball, you have a big opportunity to impact the game. So- I'm reading between the lines, and he's, he's saying essentially to me that Mac is not the guy. Breaking news. <laughs> fair, fair observation from anybody, I think. And um again, I think I think Mac is one of those guys who you put the right pieces around him and he might be able to get you there, but he's not gonna carry you, that's for sure. And I think, you know, we look at you look back, and this is, goes back to the Bill Burr point, right? You you go over six championships. It's the Beatles, right? Sometimes John writes the better song on the album, sometimes Paul does. And Sometimes it's, you know, preparing, um, sometimes it all comes together, right? Bill Burr referred to the, the Malcolm Butler play and having him prepared. And that's what Bill does. And at the same time, Brady leading that comeback from down 10. That's what Brady does. And mm-hmm. their contributions came together. Sometimes, um, you know, you look at 2001, um, you know, Tom Brady wasn't a, an elite quarterback at all at that time. I mean, that's kind of like Bill's masterpiece. And then you look at something like, um, 2016 and that comeback in in houston and um against uh the falcons and it's like that's kind of brady's masterpiece so you know he, and in 2016 he was like absolutely flawless um so so both at times have carried that team a little bit and the, the patriots are just kind of right now they have bill but they don't have that uh that other guy in the band you know they don't have that right. other that other guy that elevates them to um, you know, like like right now the Chiefs have they have Reed and they have Mahomes. And they're running out of receivers, but um Andy Reid wasn't have that, Andy Reid when had Kevin Cobb at quarterback, right? No, in fact, if you look at Reed's career though, it's like his lowest drafted starter of any significant length of time is Patrick Mahomes at 10. So he's always had good quarterbacks. And they got Mahomes um, at 10. That's the point in of itself. You don't want to be reaching yeah. it, it in the top five. Look, if you're the sec, like if you're the second pick, 
and you're getting Drake May, I think you're in a pretty good spot there. I, th- I think he's a better quarterback than Mac Jones. I mean, I, I do. Um, but I think if you're like in that position where you're looking hold, at like, hold on, there, Lombardi, Jesus. I think what? Bill um, Walsh, Bill Walsh, I don't know you're the line, ladies and gentlemen. Um, if you're in that position where you're looking at Phoenix or Bo Nix or some of these other guys that they get floated around, I mean, if you're looking at them in the top ten, I think you're really pushing it. I, I don't know that you're necessarily up like. Like that's what you look at it and you go, well, wait a minute. If we draft one of the top tackles plus Mac Jones, is that better than Bo Nix and not one of the top tackles? You know, just what we already have. So, um, so yeah, I, I I think that there's a lot of attention on these top two quarterbacks, but after that, it's um, it gets tricky. There's a ver- lot of very smart people that I know that are just over Belichick at this point. And I get it for the reasons we've just discussed, but I, to a point you made earlier, I can't think of anyone who I would want with a top draft pick and oodles of cap space coming up than Bill Belichick. Now, the whole Mac Jones mm-hmm. thing, I think the die has been cast with him. I'll be very, very surprised if he's back with the team last year. There are a lot of whispers that he's a, you know, he's a petulant shithead. I think what would be most telling for Mac some of he, them fake. That's that's true. <laughs> and more than a few of them fake, I'm sure. But is he going to be that guy who does the work like you say Jones does? Is he going to flame out like Josh Rosen famously did? Josh Rosen was a, a top 12 who? pick by the Cardinals. Wait, who are we talking about? Will Mac or... flame out like Josh oh, Rosen did? I mean, Josh well, he already, he's already, he's already, you know. Well, my point is, is that Rosen never hot, caught on anywhere else because he was kind of a petulant shithead. He couldn't um, get a job. Yeah. I mean, I don't think he's that bad. The long-time giant backup, David Carr. David Carr washed out in Houston, yeah. but he did yeah. the work, and he, he he's played in the league, got a paycheck for a dozen years. You know, I don't know what – I don't think that Mac's, like, down on that level. I mean, they've continued to work with him. They've, they're trying. Um, and maybe he's one of those guys who will take some time in finding the right place. I, I think, you know, there are a lot of quarterbacks, like Geno Smith, right? Hung around forever. And then Geno's all of a sudden, another example. Right place, right time. Um, so I think, I think Mac, you know, the thing I watch Mac play and I feel like ever since that Micah Hyde interception in the wild card game, I feel like he's trying to prove that that's not him. And he throws those balls outside the numbers and they, and that's him. Like they hang, they hang up there forever <laughs> and some safety gets there before, uh, it can get to the receiver. And, and I keep watching him like, I, and, and maybe this is just something I'm fixated on. And, and it's, maybe this isn't a representative sample of that, but I think it is. I, I think that like he tries to force things. He's not letting the game come to him. He's trying to prove he's something he's not. And I think until he gets over that and kind of accepts his limitations, um, we're not going to get the best of Mac Jones. But, you know, he's got to mature at some point, right? Hopefully for him, it's while he's in the league. Right. I mean, I, I look at Brock Purdy in San Francisco. Everything is set up perfectly for Brock Purdy. Perfect. They're, they're yeah. rock solid on the lines, uh, both offensive and defensive lines. He is a great running back, has the weapons with a Z, and he's mm. he's mm. driving the car. He's doing a good job. And there'll be a system quarterback argument with Brock Purdy at some point. The guy's playing pretty damn well. And by the way, that's probably a prime landing spot if if and when Mac moves on from the Patriots, him taking the Sam Donald role out in he- San Francisco. If the 49ers weren't stupid, he might be doing this right now. 
because right, right. they draft they, they traded all those picks and drafted Trey Lance. They could have stayed where they were and uh and taken Mac Jones. Um and and that because I think they were 12th. Um or somewhere in that neighborhood, I think. But anyway, they, they also they could have t- they traded up, they could have taken Jones there. They could have taken neither quarterback and they could have had Jamar Chase, uh, Micah Parsons. Micah, can you imagine if the, if the 49ers had Micah Parsons, they'd never lose. So, yeah. so for them to go for them to go do that, Trey Lance, they did the league a huge favor. And uh luckily luckily for them, Brock Purdy worked out. But um yeah, I think that's a that's a because I was just thinking about how in Philadelphia you got Jalen Hurts kind of in a perfect situation. And I feel like if you put Daniel Jones on the Eagles and you put Jalen Hurts in the Giants, we would talk about each of them ex- in exactly the opposite way. I don't know that um, Mac would be a good fit for the Eagles, but when I think about him in, in San Francisco, it's like, there you go. He, he makes usually makes good decisions when he's not trying to overdo things. And that's a place where you don't have to overdo it. You just got to get the ball to Debo and let him run forever. You know, get the ball to Ayukin. CMC and and you know just just figure out which decathlete is open and give him the ball. You make Matt a good point that. with with the Niners and the Eagles. The Niners have Purdy and they have Sam Darnold, so this correlation there; those two guys are very similar players. And while there's probably nobody like Hertz, Mariota is another guy who can use his he's back up backs up Hertz and he can use his legs to make plays as well. Mm-hmm. So you know we'll see what happens with the Patriots. It's kind of stress free the rest of the year. I mean it's. Hopefully, it'd be a little bit more entertaining moving forward. You know, nobody nobody talks about how all of these people are product of what's around. It's everything in the NFL. Like you know, the way the way the media portrays football to you is that the guy on camera, the quarterback, and the other guy on camera, the play caller, are responsible for everything. And nobody wants to talk about, like in the in the case of the Giants, uh, they're using their fourth center in one of these games. I'm like when you're at, when you're at the fourth center, that's not a center. That's a guard. He's probably not going to communicate all of the um, uh, pass protection adjustments properly, and that and then you just have a mess on your hands. You just have you know uh, Daniel Jones running for his life, and then uh, until he runs into uh, the third string tight end in the wrong place at the wrong time and snaps his ACL. So all the the long story short, all these people are a product of the of each other. Of what's around them and so brock purdy kind of gets the label of being pretty good and mac jones gets the label of um being a petulant what'd you call him uh you know petulant whiny shithead, little mac jones like that, yeah. petulant shithead and so um and so finding that right place is huge to succeed i think jalen hurts did that and i think brock purdy did that uh and that unfortunately hasn't happened for either uh, mac or daniel jones that's true I wanted to to pivot now to kind of the media, uh, Bill Belichick, how the media reacts to Bill Belichick because of what you've done in the past covering the Patriots. There was Zach Cox and some of the other reporters, Doug Kide, among others, some of the more whiny crybabies in the media. Um, it's on to Cincinnati from 2014 all over again. Um, I'm reading from a Zach Cox tweet on Tuesday morning. Bill Belichick used some variation of, quote, everybody needs to be ready and prepared to go 12 times in his morning presser when asked about the Patriots starting QB decision. I told everybody to be ready to go. Hopefully they will. I I can't, as a fan, for this entire run, what is, what is, what's the, what purpose does 
these guys think they're serving by asking. They know what the answer to the question is going to be. Are they trying to make themselves martyrs to the uninformed? I don't get it. I saw this. Re- this caught my eye recently with uh, Jack Jones, where it was like, tell us the, the, the basic premise of the question was, tell us why Jack Jones got cut. And it was pretty clear that Bill, first of all, is not going to stand up there and throw dirt on a professional that he has worked with. That is not his style. He's not going to be the one to say, you know, um, well, he's got that guy's got an attitude problem or that guy knows what he did or blah, blah, blah. It's, it's, it's not what he's about. Right. So he keeps giving it just like in this case, just just kept, it was the right time. We decided to move on. Then they ask the same version of the question six different ways. You know, did you do something in Germany? Um, what was it about now? And Bill is just Bill just keeps giving the same answer. Well, they, and, want, they want what happened in New York. Like when uh, Robert Sala was asked about Zach Wilson, he said, oh, I plead the fifth about him starting. I mean, they they want that. They want Bill Parcells talking about Terry Glenn referring to her yes. as she. They want to they wanted mm-hmm. a, a song and dance. It's and it's no one's being served. The subscribers or whoever's consuming their material by doing this and then whining about it on social media. So what was your, well, what was your experience like covering Belichick? Well, hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just double back for a second here because, because that he gives his answer and he's one of the few people on earth who understands that if they ask the question again, that is not a requirement for you to give a different answer. And that's the only tool in the bag that they seem to have is, well, let's just ask it again, a different way. And now he owes us. Right now, now he has to change his answer, but he never does. No one ever learns. No one ever understands this is a massive waste of their time. With, by the way, like you're in that room, you got 15 minutes with the greatest football mind on the planet. Why (laughs) are you repeating the same question four times? Like, where's that getting you? They just want to create that moment. Like that moment is the value. It's like, let's, let's get, um, we'll get ourselves, uh, we we can be the, um, the, the main character on Patriots Twitter today. And we yeah. can, maybe they'll show our clips on uh, pardon the interruption. And I know this because it's all happened to me once. So, well, more than once. So this is all happened to me. And and at a certain point, it's like, okay, wait a minute. Why don't I just listen to this guy? Because he has so much interesting stuff to say about managing an organization. And there are things that I've been able to use in my professional life that I've heard and learned from, especially him and Brady, where it's all about the, the, all this stuff about what was it? What we're going to, what are we going to, everyone's going to be prepared, right? Everyone's going to, everyone needs to be prepared for Sunday against the Giants, right? Mm-hmm. That's true. That's not just something he's saying to avoid um, something negative, a negative story coming out. He's saying that because. Bailey Zappi might have to play. He might be the starter. He wants that guy to spend the week focusing on getting ready to play. Uh, he might decide in the second quarter that Mac's not doing it. So I got to get Will Greer in there. That guy right. better be ready to play. Mac's going to be sitting there hearing that. And he's going to go, well, if those guys got to be ready to play, I got to be ready to play. All of the focus should be on that. It shouldn't be on, is this my job? It should be on, I. there is something I can do to solve this problem. I can be prepared. And that is... That is tremendous um, uh, leadership right? of, of arming instead of instead of dwelling on this question of who's the starter, who deserves to be the starter, all the stuff that cares 
uh, an organization apart. The focus is on get ready. I because if you're on the field, you need to succeed. And so, um, so yeah, I, you know, I think when I, my first time covering the Patriots in um, so 2006 through 2008, I like really struggled to ask Bill Belichick questions because uh, I knew that he would deflect them all. And I knew what he was going to say every time. And then I came back and tried to like game that out. How can I get him to actually say something? But as time went along, I was like, maybe I should pay attention to some of what he's saying about some of these things because there, there's a purpose, there's a method to it. He's not just talking to the media. He's talking to the locker room. And he's not just obscuring facts from the media. He's obscuring facts from the other team. So, you know, I, I just think that this adversarial thing, there's this like journalistic machismo. Right. Like you're doing a bad job unless you're being aggressive and um, really asking, asking the tough questions, but not just asking them, asking them in a, um, you know, uh, uh, like like an aggressive way. And I don't think that does really anybody any good. I think an actual back and forth conversation. What's the end game? What's the end? Get game some good that? information. Well, the, no the end game is to look tough, right? To look like a real journalist, capital R, capital J, um, and and carry out like these values that you think you're supposed to do. This is all like like so much of this is just hardwired into how like everyone like every journalist is really just acting, right? It's all a performance of um, what you think a journalist is supposed to do, when really all you're supposed to do is get the information and share it, and. Um, you know, it's like Caleb Williams just got in trouble because he uh, he didn't talk to the press after the UCLA game. And there's Ian Rappaport tweeting about who's not even covering college football, but he's he's tweeting about, you know, Caleb Williams ducking the media because, hey, that's our that's our bread and butter. You, you don't you don't diss us. We, you, you you slight us and we're coming for you. And it's like the whole remember the whole Marshawn Lynch thing was like. Dude, if he doesn't like it's America, if he doesn't have anything to say to you, he doesn't have anything to say to you. Let him go play football. Uh, like Dexter Lawrence just um skipped on his post game after the Dallas game, right? Big blowout loss in a lost season. He's one of the best players in the NFL. He might be Dexter Lawrence, there might be more space between him and the second best nose tackle than the best player at any other position and the second best player. Okay. Dex might be he's that far ahead of everybody else. So what do you need to hear from Dexter Lawrence after the Chinese got blown out 47 to 19? Like, what is that 49 to 19? Whatever it was. What is that? What is he going to give you? He's gonna, hey, this sucked. That's it. Um, it was his birthday. He decided to go spend the time with his family. Good for him. But they all went after him. And it's just this idea of like, you owe us. And very little focus on, okay, what are you as the journalist doing to acquire the information other than that person sits in front of you and just tells you everything you want. You know, what What other tool is there in your bag? And the way that this is all structured right now, there aren't any other tools. All the access is managed. You sit there, you ask your question, they go away. If you're lucky, you have some relationships with agents um, and some other people in the business. But yeah, I mean, lucky might not be the right word. If you have like no principles and are willing to do whatever they ask of you, they will give you the information. But that's about it. And th that's also, by the way, 
controlled and managed. And you never see them knocking the agents for um, really kind of doing their bidding, right? Like you never hear that. It's like, I'll give you this if you kind of, um, if you're good to my guy. You know what Rappaport I mean? Like that kind Schefter of marionettes, Dave. They're they are PR representatives, correct? correct. Like they just pass along the, the information that they're required to, and, and then know, Bert that, Greer confirms it. And Bert confirms it, and um, you know, it's like none none of this none of this is Watergate. They're not getting you know. Uh, they're not they're not going into a, a parking garage and meeting with um a former fbi guy who um knows where all the bodies are buried and do you think when finding his documents somewhere they're not doing do you think that when, do you think when cox and kide look into their zoom cameras they look at they see woodward and bernstein on the screen that's what i'm getting the impression they do um i, I certainly hope not because that's not where that's going <laughs> You know what I mean? Like that's not what that is. And I've done like I've done some investigative reporting on some really serious stuff, like fire code violations in a high school locker room. I'm proud of that, right? Because at the end of the day, the county for years had been ignoring all, uh, that. Actually, spilled into like all the schools in this uh, county, and and it was like now the 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 school department had to go reconcile with. We got to fix our our. Um, get everything up to code. And I was like, okay, now kids go to school and school is safer. That feels pretty good. And then there was a, a story in um, in Fairhaven a few years ago where some um, football players uh, had done some hazing and there was, you know, uh, some indecent assault was the charge involved. And at first it was like the administration was acting in a way to cover this up. And our reporting kind of broke that open and, and got that out in the public and, and led to some changes. And and led to make, putting this all on the table of something that had been going on possibly for years. So that to me is like when you're doing some real reporting, when you're sitting there and you're just asking Bill Belichick the same question somebody else just asked him in a different way. I don't know what you think you're accomplishing. Like, I don't understand the objective. Like, oh, I'm trying to get the information. What information? He's not going to tell you who's starting. That's it. <laughs> like, and what if he did? What if he did? What What would that change? You would know three days early or something you were going to know on Sunday. I don't want to know. I want to be surprised when I tune in on Sunday. <laughs> at this point, that's where I'm at. Okay. So it affects like your, by the way, at some point you're going to know, you're going to know, you're going to know in time to gamble, you know? So, which, which by the way, like, is that what your job is? If you're a beat reporter is to, is to facilitate gamblers, I, I guess. I mean, that's the only thing. At I some level, absolutely. Reason. At some level. Because because the fans are going to watch the game no matter what, so they will, I will, you will, um, and we'll somebody will be doing a podcast on it next week on the Entitled Network. Anyway, I asked you if you'd give me some scouting reports on local, just quick burbs on local media members that cover the Patriots. I posted a poll question on my Twitter account today, asking who the dumbest member of the Boston sports media is because Andy Hart has been flailing. And it is entertaining as hell to see. He's an amusing, amusing uh, little man. Um, give me a scouting report. I'm going to throw five names at you. Uh, Mittens Volan. You just you rolled your eyes. For those of you who are not watching this live, you rolled his eyes. I mean, you asked that like, who's the dumbest? And I'm like, 
try the, the, the question I'm wrestling with in my head while you're talking that through is whether Ben is like, if, if you gave an intelligence test, right? You gave an IQ test, would Ben score higher than some other guys? And it's like, maybe, but he uses <laughs> all of the extra, he uses all of the extra intelligence to like get to the most tortured, terrible conclusions that you you just like 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 miss the forest for the trees and it's just like he's almost like like his brain is like a high efficiency stupid machine and <laughs> that's, that's that's where i am with him and like you know i he's like the one of the few people like, like i'm thinking about you mentioning some names and i'm sitting here and i'm like all right how do i feel about that guy is it personal between me and him ben's the only one that i know for sure it's 100 percent personal and <laughs> And he's not been nice to me. So uh, so I don't feel bad about saying any of this, but it's like, I also just like, don't like, think that I rolled my eyes because I just don't like thinking about Ben. It is, I, fi- I kind of it, feel like high efficiency, stupid machine should be on his Twitter <laughs> bio. Yeah. When he, he got his Twitter back. That's Remember that's he lost right, his Twitter right. for like six months or something? Like, <laughs> like Elon Musk bought Twitter and just didn't care that Ben Bullen didn't have an account. <laughs> He's he's one uh maybe one step sideways from our old friend Benditson, the erstwhile Smaven. Uh oh man, we, I remember that name in a long time. Let's not discuss it anymore. Um, I'm gonna ask you about he who should not been have been named when we first started this podcast. What's your oh, scouting yeah, yeah. report on almost the coach Bedard? Yeah, I mean, if there's anybody all right, so I feel like we're gonna do all these and I'm gonna be like, Oh yeah, no, they're all personal, but <laughs> yeah, also personal. Um, but like Look, for my money, he's the dumbest motherfucker out of all of them. He just he, covers it up. The I, stink of his arrogance throws it off the scent. Yeah, well, I, I like he's not as smart as he thinks he is. He's smarter than the average bear in this forest that we're talking about. Um, and he could be like, like the forest had, of duplicity. Yeah, this, this, like this beat, right? Like he's smarter than the average bear on this beat. But you know, it's like. But but the most probably the most disingenuous, and we've talked about it at nauseum. Um, he because because I was thinking about the time when he was like uh, Tom Brady's. At, he's on the radio. He's sitting on a post game show, like down the hall, talking about how you know Brady doesn't seems like he just doesn't want to be here after a game, and just really dumping on the guy in 2019. And Brady is with his family, having a great time at the locker room. He's with his kids, and you just go man like that guy's over there having a great time with his kids it's it's kind of like nice to see and and you're dumping on him because he didn't talk to you for as long as you would have liked and that's what makes you a small person yes you know just doesn't really uh, he's a small narcissist that's it you know what i mean and yeah he's arrogant and um of himself and all that but uh he's just he's just not he's not a high efficiency stupid machine i will say that <laughs> but if I, if I could say something kind about him he is not a high efficiency stupid machine all right he's a low efficiency dumbass machine we'll go with that uh, andy andy hart andy you know i remember andy giving me okay it's not personal with me like i don't have any personal problem with andy hart um he did give me a really dirty look at a restaurant in Atlanta before uh, Super Bowl 53. But um, 
Were you well, blocking his access to the step stool? The bar. I mean, uh, probably worse, right? Like, bar, I was yes. sitting at the, I was sitting at the bar eating, and it's like, oh god, like I just want a beer. Had a long day. Freaking Dave Brown's in my way. I get it. I understand. Um, but uh, it's like now I got to watch this tool eat and drink while I have to wait. Are you kidding me? Um, but but um, yeah, he. I mean, he's not the brightest bulb on the tree as far as like. You know, he's aggressively dumb, and the, the emphasis on aggressive. He's sw- like he takes he he recycles. You know what I mean? Like like it's a very common trait in this business. You see something that worked where somebody got to this conclusion. You know, like hot seat, right? Like that term, hot seat. Like everybody's on the hot seat. Somebody a hundred years ago said hot seat because the coach wasn't doing well, and now anytime any coach loses a game, they shouldn't. That's where they are. And it's all these cliches and the dogma of sports. Like Andy kind of lives and breathes that. But sometimes it's more about getting to the conclusion than showing the math. And I, I like I, I read so like when I read his tweets and his conclusions and stuff, it's like you just you just were racing ahead to to get that cliche in there. And you didn't really think through whether this was actually happening. So, you know, I, yeah, I you know, again, it's not personal. I don't know. I mean, like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hire him to like tutor math, right? How about that? Fair enough. Who's the gold standard covering the team right now? Is it is it Reese or Curran? In terms of, I guess both ways. I guess Curran's probably has the most exposure. Reese is probably the best quality. I mean, I haven't been following as close as I used to, and that's that's like self care. Right. Like right. you can only you can only ingest so much toxic nonsense before you become toxic nonsense. <laughs> but um, but I, I'm always going to like Reese is always going to be at the top of my list. Um, we've we've exchanged some texts about some things that that current is said and done. Like like the thing about like wanting to like every time Jacoby Myers catches a pass, I lose my mind or something like that. And it's like, really, guy? The Myers thing is so disingenuous because after the Vegas thing last year, they were all ready to drive from the airport, myself included. It is the straw men of straw men of straw men. Yeah. And he's not like, it's not like if this team, if only this team had Jacoby Myers, they'd be unstoppable. No, it's not like that at all. Um, You you still have a problem with with the offensive line. Does he play tackle? Does he play line? So I saw a really interesting thing last week where, uh, also on Rich Eisen, did you see Curran's appearance? I did not. So he went on. You must have seen though that he went on and said that Greer was going to start. I did not. Really? Oh, he and, went on Rich Eisen last week. Oh my God! Oh, you got to go find this. So he goes on Rich Eisen last week and he says, um, "No, I think Max out. Max on. This is just my opinion, right? Not a report. This is an opinion. See, he's a little smarter than Volan, right? Because Volan always says it's a report." <laughs> To report, no, it's an opinion. It's a report. He did that once. Okay, he did that with the yes, fake Matt Jones story. The fake Matt Jones story. He did. Correct. That. Tom's like, hey, it's my opinion. Um, and now here's your red flag. What is he doing? He is on Rich Eisen on a national show, saying something to get attention. He's saying Will Greer might be the starter this week, and it's like, dude, you're not. You're not. You don't think that. Like, there's no way you think that. You've you've just calculated like, and this is why Tom's smarter. He's calculated like the most 
um, plausible attention getting opinion he can and he's distributed it to the broadest audience possible uh, without it in any way reflecting on his status as like knowing the team. He's like, this is just kind of my opinion. The next day, the story is he and uh, Phil Perry are reporting that Max taking all the primary snaps. He's taking the first unit snaps. And there we are. He's not on national radio and Will Greer isn't starting. You know what I mean? And that's that I think is is Tom kind of in a nutshell. Tom caters to kind of the source that's going to work out best for him and the message that's going to work out best for him. And when he has a scoop, great, he'll ride that scoop. And when he doesn't, and this is where this is where Reese is a little bit different. When Reese doesn't have the scoop, uh Reese. Sorry, just that's the NBC takes Boston background music. Go ahead. <laughs> Gobble gobble. Uh, okay. Uh, I hope the I hope all those turkeys have been pardoned. Um, but but uh, anyway, that that's kind of what separates him from Reese is that Tom will, you know, bring like the the salacious. It's all coming apart. Sky is falling stuff into the picture when it's his opinion because that moves the needle and Reese will, you know, look over at whoever's got the camera, tell him to fold it up and go home. Cause I'm on ESPN. It doesn't really matter. I, I, I got, I got, and I am where I need to be. And Tom has always kind of, um, there's something about that whole NBC. Um, it's the 98 uh, five bleeding into NBC sports, Boston. Yeah. PFT, like that whole, that whole industrial complex where it's like, let's, um, Let's we got we got to ride the the air of credibility, but make it as salacious as possible whenever possible. I I still I've mentioned this in the last couple of podcasts I've done with the guys, but it is absolutely and utterly remarkable to me the arrogance that NBC Boston is putting on display. They are rolling out John Tomasi to rip on the Patriots on air and in print. I mean that is. You, that's that's like levels of arrogance. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, no. I'll, I'll invest shocked. my money with Bernie Madoff again. I'm sure he's fine this time. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, people like some people are surprised that Donald Trump is like he, there was this whole thing with this January sixth, and he's running for president again, and he's leading the nomination, and people are surprised by that. And I'm like, I lived through John Tomasi. Like I, I saw, I saw that all go down where that guy, like we all saw him. Oh, report, it would kill like, a completely Tomasi bogus to be story. To Trump, I love it. Well, maybe that's a little calculated on my part. I don't know. Um, <laughs> probably not personal from John Tomasi to me, but definitely personal personal for me to John Tomasi because when I was on my first run covering the Patriots, it was like I, I just he like was the forebearer of like this level of disingenuous, um, just no respect for any uh, useful journalistic value. Just you know all out for himself and and he really like that should have been the end of it spygate and that was just the beginning so you know i've seen he's this kind not of the fact that he's not an affront to that industry and he's not a pariah demonstrates my point it's a useless profession and it's not worthy of respect it's takes flinging and it's 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 fiction at its finest it's it blows my mind they want to be credible but they hide behind this nebulous we're providing news, but oh, we're an entertainment yeah. organization. So it's yeah, like I'm above, right? Like whatever, whatever justification I need to be above whatever you're accusing me of fits. You know, I'm just getting the information. I'm just, you know, 
I mean, whatever, like Shaughnessy started all this and then Tomasi kind of took away all of the, um, the, the, the like constraints that kind of kept everybody in orbit. Like Tomasi was the first to break through those where there was some like veneer of professionalism and that guy killed it, just killed it. Last but not least, Breer. Uh, like, I mean, I've been arguing I, with Dan from the podcast. I think Breer is is a very, very, very aggressively unintelligent person, and uh, Dan thinks a little different. Dan thinks that Breer has. Let me see if I can find it. What Dan was uh was texting me on, it was basically saying that he's smart enough to know that he doesn't have any sources and he's repackaging everyone else's material. Um, yeah. yeah. He's parlayed his fraud That's scheme right. into a national presence. There's got to be a certain level of facility up top to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, his skill is not acquiring information. His skill is appearing to have acquired information Correct. while he's on his couch wearing his he's Ohio state PJs. He's legit. He's listen. He understands the thing that needs to be said to make it appear as if, um, and listen, this is look, I'm just this is just the sense I'm getting from people <laughs> in and around the building. Right. But that's I just like I laugh every time I do it. I laugh every single time he does it. It's it, oh my god, he he really has. He's he's figured out how to repackage stuff and come off as an authority for this in some way. I don't get it. I don't get it. He does, he I do he never fails to make me laugh when he's you know tweeting endlessly from his couch over the weekend, having as much insight and access as I do at this point. Right. And it's, it's like, this is something that comes up with giants fans sometimes, but it's like, like, like one of his reports will come out and I'll be like, you understand he's not saying anything. Right. He is These just, are just words. like, it's word salad. He's, he, he's, he's packaging like, like reasonable inferences into right. sounding like something's happening. So yeah, I you know with him it's like he, yeah. When he uh, says from what I'm hearing, what I hear in my head is according to Rappaport or according to Schefter. That's what I'm hearing in my head when he says that. You know what it is? He's not smart enough to understand that this should be like, like that. He's capable of better. You know what I mean? Like that. That like like that could be his. That could have been his entree. Like he figured out how to get in the room. But like, then never quite figured out how to parlay that into actually getting the information. He was um, the I, he was the guy that got Belichick the on the we're on to Cincinnati stuff over and over that we sure. referenced earlier. Sure, and um, oh, wasn't that wasn't that Gir wasn't that Girardi? See, they're they're they're, they're widgets. They're replaceable. It doesn't even matter. Could be <laughs> Girardi. Could be Breer. I don't know. It's, Girardi. Sorry. Yeah. Girardi. Um. Uh. But with with Breer, it's like. Um, I remember this one time he kind of led with a pretty salacious thing. And then in one of his like Monday morning quarterback type, um, you know, kind of notes package. And then the second item was they had found out something about like why Julian Edelman's test, uh, like one of his HGH tests was, there was some interesting fact. And I was like, this is a great story. This should be the lead. And that to me is Breer in a nutshell. Like he doesn't know he has a scoop when he has it and love to kind of repackage um, nonsense into something that sounds like a headline. Like that's where his head is. So, you know, 
I, I, I don't know. I, he doesn't have, he doesn't have especially high expectations. Maybe he knows his limits, but I mean, he's not as dumb as some of the other people have talked about. That's for sure. Fair enough. Um, last, before I let you go, um, Celtics lost last night in Charlotte. Bad loss. Mm-hmm. Definitely a bad loss. Good basketball team. Fun to watch. Uh, we had discussed on our earlier podcast, over 54. The over-under being a 54 and a half was, you know, just take all my money. Your your early season impressions on the Celts so far? Um, I think that in another year, we wouldn't even be talking about this. I think that, like, uh, they have they have to fill a void right now because the Patriots yeah. are not doing it. And um, I, I am really excited though. I, you know, I was, I remember texting you, I was in Europe when they, when I left for Europe, they were down three, nothing mm-hmm. Eastern conference finals. And I stayed up all the way through game six and and seven. And it was just like watching the, watching it all fizzle out in game seven was tough and seeing like, okay, Tatum's not right. And Brown is having a bad game. That's it. So it's kind of over. Um, having that third, like genuine superstar, uh, is a lot of fun to watch. It gives me like, like I'm watching this team right now, and I'm going, that's the favorite. They are the favorite to win. Sure. And looking at it and going, Al Horford, like he he had to play. He had to start the other night when um when uh, Porzingis was out, and I said. And he was he was awesome, and it's like God, like having somebody else in that position to be like the star big, just makes Al Horford kind of like this, because um, he's not on that you know he's not on that like elite top top level, but he can be when he's when he's or he can be, you know he more can be a better version of himself. When, more when importantly, he gets that he's rest. he's absolute kryptonite to Joel Embiid, who's one of the three yeah. best players in the game. Yeah. So now I'm really excited about the Celtics, and um, I think uh, I think all those people I banned from the parade uh, are gonna are they're gonna miss out. I, th- I got a feeling. I got a feeling they're gonna miss out. So I, I and I'd love to see you know Tatum just uh, just win one and shut down all those disingenuous people who dumped on Ainge for trading down and and for drafting Jalen Brown and um, you know all the things that have have transpired since then. Um, Danny Sadie, Ainge, Danny Marcus Marco. Yep, I just about to make that point. Danny Ainge, really good general manager. Brad Stevens, good coach. Brad Stevens, better general manager. They turned Brogdon, uh, Robert Williams, and Marcus Smart, and it hurt to see Marcus Smart go, into Drew Holiday and Kristaps Porzingis. That's an upgrade. That's a huge win. I mean, I don't know if Brad is a better GM, but he's very good. And like, because you could, I mean, look, Ainge trading down from one. Is like onions. It's the it's the most in, it's like the greatest. It's one of the greatest draft day moves ever to be like that confident that that Tatum was the right guy, and to make and then and having the right. balls and to move down it. to get him. Yes, and and he did. Now he brought in the two guys, right? He brought in the two Jays, and now Brad has built. You know he has really built up around that, and he's doing a great job. So the question then is like, did you take this roster down to nothing? Would would Brad have gotten them here? I don't know, but you know what? He's doing a great job, and the fact of the matter is, the Celtics had both of them, and both of them have contributed. So that's fantastic. Um, so what do you think of this game this week? Uh, the Giants and Patriots game? game. I, you know, I don't really have a feel. I think that Kayvon Thibodeau is going to 
wreck the Patriots' world. The Giants' defensive line is, is going to be a lot of a lot of points scored. The Patriots are thirty first in total offense uh, in terms of points, and the Giants are thirty second. I don't even know what the over under is on the game. I have z- I honestly have zero <laughs> expectations. There's the only Patri- an under. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just keep digging. I don't have any expectations for this team. Stevenson's been the best version or better version of himself over the last couple of weeks. Uh, Demario Douglas looks like he's got some juice there. I mentioned he mm-hmm. has a little bit of shades of maybe a Dion Branch ish kind of stuff. Um, they're running him kind of the way you, you probably thought that the Giants are going to use Kadarius Tony underneath and letting him go um, horizontal rather than vertical. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know. I just, I, how do I, uh, my, any predictions for the fight? Pain. I mean, it's going to be a three-hour <laughs> slog. I mean. When does Judon come back? Uh, is he coming back? The over-under, by the way, is 33 and a half. Oof. Wow. That's low. Wow. That's low. Um, so Giants fans don't, like, understand this when I'm explaining it to them that um, we could win this game. <laughs> There's, well, you have the best like, play, probably have the best off offensive player on the field with Barkley, probably. Yeah, um, but that's about it. Third string quarterback, terrible offensive line. A guy who's like, this is a situation where Bill is like primed to grind up Tommy Tommy DeVito, Jersey Tom, right? Um, right. but uh, but on the other hand, your offensive line is terrible, and here comes Dexter Lawrence. I mean, get ready, get ready to enjoy. You're not probably not going to enjoy it, but he's such an enjoyable player to watch, and um. You know, get ready to be impressed by Dexter Lawrence at the very least. And and Thibodeau, um, you know, he's really coming. He's got 10 and a half sacks already. So uh, I think those two guys are going to feast. And then the question is, the question really is like, who gets the turnover closest to the end zone? That's probably who's going to win the game. There might be somebody punting on third down in this game. Maybe. Or or like a quarterback sneak on third and nine. That's true. That's true. The team that steps on their dick last will be the victorious team in the Meadowlands That's on it. Sunday. You got it. Dave, this is fun. Thanks for uh, coming back and, and uh, hanging out with me for a little bit. Thanks now. for having let's, me. Let's do Good this again. Good to talk to you. Absolutely. All right. So the email address is at Entitletown. Uh, my name is Mike Irons. Dave, thanks again. Remember, I'm thankful this season for the uh, the off button on my radio. So put it to good use. And happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Stay positive all the way through. And if you think I'm going to succumb to negativity, you're wrong. you got the wrong guy leading this basketball team. Welcome back.